Welcome to Live Sense8. I'm Sheila Applegate. I'm Zach Hansen. In this podcast, we dive deep into the concepts of consciousness and other interesting trivia in the Netflix original series, Sense8. We're doing an episode-by-episode exploration of how we can live a Sense8 life. And we're also throwing in some special episodes, which include interviews with some of the cast and people who worked on the set. So welcome. What's going on? In this segment, we discuss some of the things happening in the world of Sense8. So one thing happening right now is as we are recording, we are in the middle of a nor'easter, which is called the Winter Storm Riley. So (laughs) we're right here with Riley's snow. If you remember in one of the other episodes, she talked about how beautiful the snow and silence was. So she came here to visit us. But the rest of the team, a lot of them, are in Paris right now. It is the weekend of Paris Sense8 Con. So we know Brian Smith announced that there's going to be some special surprise at the con, but we don't know yet what it is as we're recording here today. Brian Smith, who plays Will, also announced on Twitter this week that he'll be playing a lead in the CBS drama pilot, L.A. Confidential. So we are excited for him, right, Zach? Yeah, congratulations. (laughs) We are super excited for you, Brian. And also there's that little piece of does, what does that mean? And I know a lot of the fans probably are saying, what does that mean? Because people are still holding out for a season three Remember that since it is more than the characters, more than each individual episode, and it is about life. And Brian takes this experience into a new show and brings that vibration with him. And I actually got really excited about that because we know that this show impacted everyone who was on it. So we're not letting, you know, we're still holding out as long as people want as long as the people who have to do the work want to have a season three, then we're going to stand right by you and help you manifest that. But we're not going to hold anyone back because the miracle that happens when people go out into the world with sensate vibration and understanding is incredible. So we're really excited for Brian. I also want to say thank you to Brian because he did a shout out for Live Sense8, which was pretty exciting. That was totally awesome. Thank <laughs> you, Brian. All right. So Alfonso Herrera, who plays Hernando, also said something about this episode coming up, the special. And I have to say, I'm going on the people who were so kind to um, translate it. On Twitter, so I'm trusting all of you, whoever I saw. <laughs> but basically, he said that the, sh- the final episode has completion, so we'll feel good about some of the loose ends being tied up and complete, but it also leaves it open for more. So that's pretty exciting. Again, 
more seasons would be awesome. And if that doesn't happen, wouldn't it also be awesome that it's left that way so we can keep it alive? Because our intention is to keep it alive and to keep it impacting the world, make sure that there's um, conversation about it, that it become that no matter what happens, that it's accessible for more and more people to see it. Yeah, like they leave it up on Netflix instead of taking it down. All right, so we also have the meditation on March 20th. I'm doing a guided meditation. It's a global sensate, give the world a sensate hug meditation. So everyone who's ever been touched by sensate or just wants to put some cool energy into the world, join me. Join from wherever you are. Do whatever you want to do at 8 a.m. Eastern time that morning. I will do a live guided meditation to have us all come together and give a big sensate wave to the world. Also, don't forget to send clips to Martin. He was on the show a few weeks ago. He's doing the Sensate Is My Life documentary, and he needs your clips. So get your cameras out and tell your story about why Sensate is so important to you or something you love about it, whatever it is you want to share. And then send that to sensatewithoutborders at gmail.com. All right, and stay tuned here at the end of the show today. We're going to tell you how you can join a special class that we're creating. You've heard me go off in the last few episodes of how important it is to allow your conversation with people who have died to continue so that it doesn't impact your life or hold you back in a way that isn't healthy, but also because it feels really good. So I can tell you here how important it is But you might be out there going, but how do I do that? So we're going to do a special class on teaching you how to do that. So stay to the end. Also, because Zach strong-armed me. I did. It's it's my job. I'm just returning the favors. I'm offering a few readings a month now. I used to do spiritual readings, and I've moved on to do some other things. But we're doing it special through here, through the Sensate, that a few people a month can get a reading. So at the end, we'll tell you how that happens. All right, let's get this party started. All right, episode five, Art is Like Religion. It was directed by James McTeague, written and created by Lana Lilly Wachowski and J. Michael Straczynski. All right, so there's a lot going on in this episode. Was there going to ever be a time where we actually make it to the show and say, there's nothing going on. We're going to have a short episode today. Just hang with us, and we'll talk about nothing. I don't think so. Yeah, I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> it's so it's so good. It's so rich. All right, I have to say, I laughed more at this one than any of them so far. There are some funny lines in this one. It was a, it was quite a relief to see um, or to experience all the humor that they got to put into this one. So it was good. And it's still deep and funny. Yeah. All right. So a little summary of where we got everybody in this episode, in case you're forgetting. We are on episode five of season one of Sensei, like Zach just said. And it is Art is a Religion. 
Toledo sees Sun and Will for the first time. So I didn't actually realize that until I read it in the IMDb. Same here. But Will hadn't seen anyone yet, so he kind of freaks out about it, which is really funny. He's Lido, all- Lido hadn't seen somebody. Oh, sorry, yeah, Lido hadn't seen anyone. And um, he's also experiencing Sun's menstrual cycle as far as the emotions and the pain, which is fun. And then... Wait, is that fun? It's funny for us to watch. I don't know if he had a good time. <laughs> as a woman watching a man try to deal with it, it's hysterical. Okay, so... <laughs> Then the epic scene is um, in there in the art museum, which we're going to go into detail about later. Then we have Caffius. He meets up with Riley, and they have an exchange. That was a was a good exchange, and he also has a very awesome conversation with Sun, as they both have parallel dilemmas to hash out. Wolfgang, he has a pretty in-depth conversation with his uncle that's got some key things we're going to talk about. And then he's pretty much just partying with Felix. Felix is being kind of reckless in his exposure to what's going on, not hiding anything. And then he's swimming, and he's swimming, (laughs) and he's swimming. (laughs) Getting prepared for the wedding. And then we have Nomi. Her apartment gets ransacked, and... She interacts with Will, which that was a very interesting scene that we'll go into as well. Will talks to Nomi's mom and helps Lido with his action movie. We got the quarterback in there again, always helping. The team leader. And then Kala, she's just preparing for Doom. I mean, the wedding. (laughs) And then she's in the wedding scene, which is pretty epic, really. As far as visual effects and um, the presentation of a beautiful Indian wedding. And then Sun. Sun meets Leto and Caffius, and she makes the decision about her family problem. So uh, one of the lines that we, that it's just so funny, and it's so, I overlooked it the first few times, but as she's dealing with the, the decision, she's, um, working with her sensei, and he says, you are of two minds. And she she mumbles under her breath, at least. <laughs> There's so many people in here. Okay, you are of so eight many. minds. <laughs> so, all right, that's where everybody is. So we're going to tackle this episode with some concepts. And we're we're going to over how all of these interactions that we saw in this episode how they um how things are communicated in we'll say the fifth dimension so the non-physical communication um as you know that's what i've spent a lot of my life um working with and teaching and there's some kind of limiting beliefs I've I've experienced. Like people say, are you a medium? Are you psychic? Are you telepathic? Are you satient? Are you, you know, do you see things or do you hear things or do you smell things? And I was always like, uh, yeah, <laughs> all of those, aren't we all? And I love that this series is giving us the intricacy and the fluidity with which we actually all relate on those levels 
So it's fun to pull it out. It's very natural and maybe not something you're paying attention to, but since I have paid attention to that in my life, I did want to pull it apart for you a little bit because I just think the most important thing is to remember that we can do all of these things in different ways. So one of the time, the, the kind of trigger that I noticed this with, and I was like, oh yeah, we need to dive in. And then I started looking at the other things. That's when Caffius visits Riley and they're just talking. So they're having a conversation and then he's like, ooh, English tea, can I try this? And then um, the scene kind of ends and, and we're seeing Caffius drink the tea and then when, and and Riley's on the couch, and they're communicating back and forth with each other. They also start to ask each other, well, in that case, they both spoke English. Caffius was very proud of his English. He does speak good English. He does speak good English. But anyway, I noticed that when in one of the takes, at the end of that scene, Riley is actually standing where Caffius is, and she's drinking the tea. So that, because I was kind of wondering... Okay, so if he's teleporting, how is he tasting the tea? Um, but he can taste it. So we've got a lot of things going on here. So in the moment that he tasted the tea, she clearly drank it for him. So it's that sharing of the body that Jonas talked about before, where you sort of merge. For me, I mean, that does happen in different ways for me. But for me, as far as like what I've done, not, um, a lot of my work, that's how I see the channeling. When I, when I channel a being, I'm expanding, and we're both in there, and we're both experiencing that. Really cool side note is Jim Carrey did a movie, a documentary on a movie where he was channeling. What's the name of the movie, Zach? I believe it's Jim and Andy, and it is on Netflix. Yeah, so check that one out, too, because that's going to give you an idea of what I mean by sharing, because... We might think, oh, this is just a fictional concept. It's not that it happens all the time, but and it doesn't happen in exactly the same way, but it really happens. And you've probably experienced it more than you realize. So I found Jim Carrey's movie pretty interesting because it's my life, too, kind of. So we've got that going on, where they're actually sharing the experience, He's actually tasting what she's tasting, and that that experience is there. But then there's a teleporting, too, which I would see with teleporting where his soul or his energy is visiting her, and they're having a, a telepathic communication because that's where they're looking at each other, and they're talking. And in that space, they're... They're both talking, and later we we listen. We see when um, Capius and Sun meet, they can communicate with each other. And this happens. Um, other ones say it throughout the series, but they don't know each other's language. But when you're in the telepathy, it's beyond language, so you don't have to know a language. When Will spoke Korean out loud, he was sharing, and that knowledge was coming through him. But when they're communicating with each other in dialogue, they're actually communicating in a space beyond language, and that's why they can understand each other. We got those. Do you have thoughts on this so far? I know I'm talking a lot, Zach. No, it's fine. You covered it really well. 
Oh, cool. I'm good at that. Yeah, you are. We're going <laughs> to, I'll go in a little bit in depth later during the conversation about some of this topic as well. Get some overlap. All right. We did have another time where Nomi tasted Kala's food too. So we see that all these things are just happening very fluidly. So fluidly. So I would challenge you because this is about you becoming sensei in your real life. This is you're listening maybe because you're a fan, but also because we said we were going to talk about how to live this way and just challenge yourself to play with those ideas and to see where they might be happening in your life. And you know, shout out to us on Twitter and tell us about your experiences at live underscore Cincy. <laughs> I really am interested because I, I think when we start to put attention on it, it becomes more a part of our life. So we also have, um, well, we want to, we want to talk about caffeine. So those are aspects of it. There's another aspect and it's about how we communicate, how the lang- not the language we use, but the way we talk. So we're going to talk about that, but we're going to set this up with... Yeah, let, let's, let's let Caffius tell us, show us how we typically communicate. Spirit of Jean-Claude Korean lady, I know you have more important things to do, but for me, nothing is more important. All right, there you have it. <laughs> so that... Well, cracked me up, too. <laughs> yep. It was pretty epic in a funny way. <laughs> Spirit of Jean-Claude, Korean lady. <laughs> Isn't that how we typically try to talk to a higher power? Where we, we don't think there's enough time for us or our problems aren't important enough. So they are to us, but maybe not to that person. But he doesn't, at this point in time, he doesn't know that he's talking to another person on the planet. Yeah, and I like, uh, um, so that's, what we were talking about is more like if you're praying to a spirit guide, a lot of times we do that. We just sort of hang out and think they're going to, you know, we pray and then we, we ask them to help us and then they come help us. It's not a, it's not a, um, equal relationship or symbiotic. It's sort of, here I am, you help me. And an interesting thing that, that happens right after he gets really cocky. So these guys come and they're going to re- beat him up. He has skills. He has his own skills. And the last time he started out on his own and then he got the <laughs> the spirit of Jean-Claude Claude, Claude's Korean, Korean lady, lady yeah. um, to help him. But this time he's just all cocky. Like he's just going to do it because this guide's going to come in and help him and he just knows it. And how many times have we done that in our in our lives? Like we're not going to help or have we seen someone like I'm going to pray but I'm not going to do anything to help the situation out I'm just going to pray and then that guide can come and help me and then they'll take care of it for me so he's falling into some of that maybe religious kind of thinking where we set them above and we just become less than and let them take care of us interesting thing though is that later in the episode he shows up and now he's with Sun face to face, and at first he kind of jokes about her being Jean Claude, the spirit of Jean Claude. But he also um, he honors himself, and he he know he gives her advice. He talks to her like an equal, and he pays attention to what she may need and his ability to help her. 
as well as her ability to support him. And to me, that's one thing that I think shifts our relationship with the divine. And for me, I think I've kind of, I kind of was born with that attitude and I don't know why, because it wasn't really taught in my religious upbringing. I mean, sort of like, you know, in Sunday school, Jesus is your friend, but then it's kind of like somewhere past that is like, ah, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is going to help you. You know, you can't do anything without him. You're humbled, but you know, you shouldn't communicate with him. You're not good enough. All of those things. And that's my upbringing. I know it can go over every religion, but somewhere along the way or somewhere inside of me, I was just treated him like a friend and they show up that way. So they're my they. <laughs> yep, they are. Zach says I'm always talking about they. The other day I was talking about they and it was the rice I was putting in. The, I was talking to you. No, I think I was talking to them directly. And then I said something about they jumped out of the pot. <laughs> so yep. Pretty much everything. We've decided everything that isn't my physical personality. Is they. Is they. And I talk to them like they're my buddies. She does. It's true. <laughs> I get to live with a Disney princess. <laughs> hey, I haven't been dressed by blue bluebirds in a long time. <laughs> All right, that's a shout out for any of my people who also like Gilmore Girls. All right, so anyway, I think that's kind of, oh, I, I do love, but we're going to talk about his son, son's reaction to him. We're going to talk about this scene with Caffius and son more because it's important, but we just wanted to talk about the the difference in how we relate to communication. So whether it's someone who's crossed over, whether it's someone we consider a master teacher, a prophet, or it's somebody that lives across the country or across the street that we're talking to in a higher level of communication, we want to stay open to all of these things and be aware. So as we're sitting here talking, I'm remembering something that happened recently in my life. It was... Last year, I believe, Sheila and I, we do a workshop called Fractal Illumination. And before this particular workshop, I was getting some, I call them impressions or communications by a Zen master named De Quan. And he, um, he worked out of the Kansas City Zen Center for some time and way back when, I don't know if it was like 2004, 2005, I actually spent only one day with this um, person and so much got transmuted into me that was going to be used in the future and I had no idea about. So anyway, we get along to Fractal Illumination and I'm getting all this information instructions from this Zen master who is still alive. And I was like, at first I was like, did he die? I'm going to go look him up. So we did the workshop. I went home. I Googled it and he's still around. So it was really cool. I've had my own experience with a Zen master who's just kind of in my mind space, <laughs> giving me some instructions and things to do. Uh, they worked out well. Everybody in the workshop did enjoy themselves uh, with the things that we did. But it was just really cool um, how 
I knew he was in, like he was in the house. He was in my mind space. It was very uh, telepathic communication. But another thing I was going to get into a little bit later is, is gnosis. So it's like, it's very, you just know what's going on. There was no language that was exchanged. There was just a knowing of things. So that was one of my experiences. And that just happened like last year. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, as you're talking, I'm thinking also recently I reconnected with a friend who um, kind of fits in this. We've always been pretty telepathic. We weren't in any contact at all for three years and then reconnected. And I, when he updated me, I knew everything. So did I think about it? Did we have a telepathic conversation? I don't know. I just knew it. So we were dialoguing in, in levels of all those different ways, even when we weren't in the physical communication. So pay attention to what you know, how you speak, who you hear from. Okay, so the next topic. The next set of concepts we're going to talk about, and this was the fun part of the episode, if you ask <laughs> me. We're going to talk about a little bit about emotions and hormones. So let's set this up a little bit, I guess. We have, in the beginning of the show, we see Sun and Lido, and Lido is sharing her menstrual cycle, um, PMS symptoms kind of things. Mm -hmm. And he is in front of the mirror, and he's looking sharp like usual, and he thinks he's bloated. I mean, it's just funny stuff like that. Right. That gets rolled into the mix. And then he gets very emotional in his first scene. He's got a scene where he... And it's interesting because the director there says, no, so he's like teary. He's all teary and emotional, we assume, because he's experiencing some of Sun's um, hormones. And uh, and the director says, tears are not hot. Tears are not sexy. So, or crying's not hot. Tears are not sexy. He, which is an interesting concept, right? Because... Um, we have the standard for men, but Leto is definitely crossing that in the movie, and he just feels a state of beauty and grace, and he starts crying when he's not supposed to be as he sees his co-star walk down the stairway. And, she, and then he says, I was suddenly struck by her beauty and the knowledge that all beauty is temporary, decay, and death with every breath we take wow all right <laughs> holy cow so when i saw this and i heard this the there's a couple things that came to mind and i think um my perception is they were mostly getting after the emotions and what's really important to understand and i think they were showing with Leto here, as he's becoming more emotional, is emotions are a gateway to knowledge. Or gnosis. Right, or gnosis. And what I mean by gnosis or knowledge isn't something that you can be educated on. It's just something that you intuitively or innately understand. Some people would call these epiphanies. There's many different nicknames for them, but we can all have these experiences where we have this little tiny moment and it expands into some cosmic concept where there's no way we could possibly put it into words, but we understand the depth 
of that relationship in knowledge. So that's what I mean by when I talk about gnosis or knowledge. And so emotions are one of those things that in my, from my own personal experience, uh, I disregarded as something this potent until I had the experience of learning from my emotions when they had much gnosis to give me one afternoon. So emotions being that gateway is a really strong indication of um, being an open individual and especially in a cluster. So I thought that was awesome. That's really where the, the meat and the potatoes was for this, but they just went over this briefly and they don't explain it a lot. And the, the nuance here, and this is something that I teach my students is about beauty. So they kind of wrap these two concepts together. He was emotional and he saw beauty at the same time. Now, beauty itself, and I don't mean superficial beauty, I do mean beauty in whatever form you perceive beauty, is something that is also a gateway that can lead us to gnosis and understanding. And in this scene, they wrap all of this up really quick with one sentence in Toledo's experience while he's acting. Sheila, what do you have to say? Well, I have a lot. And as you were talking, I was um, thinking it also reminded me of Kala, who was getting the um, henna tattoo for her wedding, and they were describing that, and they talk about inner and outer beauty and igniting that. So I would say that Leto was seeing not just this woman coming down, because he, he sees that all the time, and he's not particularly attracted to women, right? So it was more seeing that inner beauty that as well as the outer beauty that he was responding to. So they talk about that a few times too, but also it's, it goes with the idea. I think that if you contemplate that there's so many lines in this series that you could probably spend a month in an ashram meditating right. on, right? They're like Zen riddles. But a lot of times, one of the things Spirit has shown me, and I've heard things said like this, if you're not living, or if you're not living, you're dying, but we're always dying, right? So if you look at a flower and the beauty, and a, a flower's blooming where we see the beauty, that's the beginning stages of its death as it's growing up and up. But every moment that it's from the point that it starts as a seedling, it's growing towards its death, which then puts the seeds out for a next generation. So that is true. And the more we can come to terms with and honor the death or the many deaths, the more we can embrace the beauty of life because they are entwined. Mm -hmm. So, there's that. And then there's the whole, so, you know, women, I got to, I got to stand up for the women here, right? So we are biologically programmed to be more emotional or heart centered. That's the divinity. Now we all have a male and female energy within us and we are all on a spectrum and Zach is a pretty emotional male, so <laughs> I am definitely not putting us all into little boxes, but I do know the experience of hormones and that they shift things for people 
And we know that for most of my life, they and probably part of what's still happening in our world right now is they've said like a woman couldn't be pregnant because what if she was on her period? It's like, you know what? We got this. We are maybe more rational than some presidents, even when we're on our period. <laughs> Just saying. Could be. <laughs> Possibility that we have some, um, or, or why is it bad to be emotional, right? Like, could it, couldn't living and leading from a heart centered space be good for the world? Possibility. But here, it's a pretty good possibility. Yeah. I think we should at least give it a try. Yeah. So I did notice, I, I have a friend who transitioned from female to male, and he's talked about having had the experience of craving chocolate. It's, it's a known, we now have evidence based on him that there is a hormonal reason that women tra- crave chocolate because he gave his cravings for chocolate went away when he transitioned to a man. He said, I can eat, I can like have one piece of chocolate and I'm done. But before <laughs> I'd eat the whole bag. So that's in there. But he also talks about um, the experience of now feeling what testosterone, testosterone sound feels like inside him versus the estrogen or the, the balance being different. And I think they captured this so perfectly. And I think that maybe that is, one of the gifts of having Lily and Lana to be able to express that because we know we have these beautiful creative souls who have now in one lifetime in full consciousness been able to experience both sides of that physicality. I think it is beautiful that they can express this. I also, from my own personal experience, there is something to be said about being able or having the experience of being out of balance one way or another with hormones because we personally identify with our hormones as a sex or as a person even. It, it is more of our identity than we know, and you wouldn't know that unless you've been on both sides of the fence. So um, that's just something to think about is um, the difference that somebody who can transgender or who has um, hormonal issues or anything, they would know from experiences that identification is these hormones do make me one thing or another, but they don't make me who I am, if that makes sense. It does. So, Lito, how'd he do with being uh, hormonally female for a minute, Zach? Could he handle <laughs> I'm a fucking mess. I'm a fucking mess at my Set up and said you were fine? 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 No, no, we're not. I'm not fine. I have a horrible pain in my stomach. It's. I'm paralyzed. I'm. It feels like a tumor. Quiero cancer rats in my family, Hernando. What if it's cancer? What is it? What is. What is the point? What is the point? My lane is not going any faster, you. Fuck! I see you, Milan! I see you! With your fucking Milan mustache! Fuck! Calm down, Lito! No, I'm about to attack him! Take a deep breath, please! <laughs> I can't! I can't breathe! I can't think! I, I can't remember anything! 
All right, ladies. <laughs> I think that's what Lino thinks. <laughs> that's how a man did on a cycle. <laughs> so that means we all get to just give up at once a month for a week and just hang out in bed because it's so, so difficult. It's almost like cancer. <laughs> I don't think he passed the test. <laughs> But then he's this this scene just cracked me up um watching him just go loco <laughs> go loco cuz he's got the feeling of a period. Well, well son is all zen. It's her actual period, right? And she she's um working she's obviously conflicted cuz she's got a huge life decision, but she's um just doing her martial arts and, and focus and meditation as she does it. But then we get a, another great line. So we do have to remember that open. So we talked about the gateways, right, to opening up before in the beginning mm-hmm. when they saw Angelica. But now that we're realizing that this is Leto's first time, then we could say that the actual, the open heart, the emotions, the hormone of that actually acted as his gateway to be able to see um, the others for the first time. Yep. Beauty, emotions, hormones, they all led to this opening for him. Right. So he ends up with Sun, and he's still going crazy like you heard. And he's he's telling Hernando that he's with a crying um, Korean woman. And Sun says, I'm not crying. (laughs) And then he says... There's a Korean woman standing next to me, and she's not crying like I'm not screaming. <laughs> but he was as loud as he was. <laughs> that one I could just like replay over and over. It cracks me up. <laughs> so good. I loved when he says he has cancer. <laughs> like it's, it's so funny. Uh, and then how he says villain in the most. Anyway, it's, it's oh yeah, hilarious. He, calls, yeah. he tells the guy trying to um, cut him. We've listened to it a lot of times. You guys yeah. may have to re-listen a few times to catch all those words. But he calls the guy uh, trying to cut in. So you got road rage. So it's probably good for us that men don't get their periods because men with road rage on their period would probably not be good for our world. It would <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> All right. So now we're on to a con, like, we're, let's, let's head over to Will and Nomi. Well, Will's talk calls Nomi's mom and then he and Nomi start trading places. And, there's this moment, so this is kind of pulling some different things in, right? This is, there's this moment, so Nomi is semi-consciously probably in this conversation with her mom that Will's having, because we see them kind of bouncing and, and paying attention, and and Will is really defending this woman that he doesn't know, because Nomi's mom is calling her a him and calling him Michael and Will says her name is Nomi and in that in that moment he ends up on the park bench in Nomi's space for a second and in that moment Nomi seems to get disoriented because Will doesn't know where he is and Nomi's sharing that space and she identifies as as her own feeling because it's familiar to mm-hmm. her. Yeah, it was awesome for Will to kind of tap in to know me and defend her like that. I thought so. So now we have 
Nomi is going to sit down and she's going to talk with Neats, and we're going to break this conversation down. So here's the first little bit. I was looking at the people and I had this feeling it was so familiar, something I've known my entire life. The feeling of being seen and not seen, of being a part of them and being apart from them. All right. So to me, in this conversation, this is a really important line because it just shows the struggle of how we can feel alone in this life, even though we are surrounded by people who love us and that we can't, sometimes we have a hard time communicating or relating to the world around us. So we feel separate from that. So I thought that was a very important piece of dialogue to um, break down because as we go on, um, the concept of this is Nomi's brought to us before is I am a me and I am also a we. Sheila, did you have anything to say about that? Well, I don't know. I think that's part of what's happening with Sense8 touching all of us, right? I think here people are connecting from around the world based on this and maybe feeling understood just because people had watched this, right? So there's something about, well, if you like Sense8, <laughs> then we must be understood. But we know there's nuances inside of us. But I think, yeah, like there's a lot of times, I think there's the being born into your family. A lot of souls um, love their family of origin, but maybe um, don't seem like them. I think that as we have more souls waking up and coming to earth for the experience of that awakening that people are feeling that more and more and nobody can really understand you uh, or me from a physical level so when i'm teaching in the consciously awesome we teach that basically we have all these different levels of our consciousness and we're relating and making decisions based on them all the time, whether we realize it or not. So someone who can only see, say, my physical action and has an interpretation from their own abilities of maybe survival or limitation may not be able to see. Like, that might be a part of why I do something. Maybe I'm angry in a moment or something or triggered, but maybe I'm also connected, just like you. Maybe you're also connected to a higher understanding a core way of being that it is in alignment with. But if people aren't able to see all of you, they're never going to understand you. So I, to me, I guess I'm getting kind of complicated in the way I'm talking. But basically, I think Nomi claims that role and we relate it in some ways to her being transgendered and her relationship with her family but I would probably say every single person on earth feels that because we're so used to being interpreted just by the physical. And the truth is that I am also a we, whether you have eight sensates that you're connected to like this lore, or you're just connected in general, you are so much more than your earthly presentation. And we're bumping around like little bumper cars trying to connect to people from just that tiniest place. And when, if we don't stop to look at all of 
who we are, the, the, the energy beyond what's being presented, then we're never going to feel understood or we'll be able to understand. I agree. I think the big part of this is learning how to truly listen, not only to yourself, you need to do that and to understand that. And then you can start to honor the people around you. Yeah. So the, the next part of this conversation is going, it starts out with Amnita. And then I saw you, the first person that made all of that go away. It made me feel I did fit in, that I belonged. I saw you and for a moment, I didn't know who you were. feels impossible what's happening to me. It feels impossible. But honey, not so long ago, the idea of someone like me, someone with my crazy thoughts, my desires, someone with this kind of hair, <laughs> would have been completely impossible in this world. Just as there was a time in my life when the idea of me falling in love with someone like you, honestly, even I would have said it was impossible. And yet, there we are, in that tiny bathroom at the Lexington. And from the instant my lips touched these two lips, I realized one of the most important lessons of my life. Impossibility is a kiss away from reality. So there we have it. We have Nomi becoming a we in a different way, not like the Sense8 cluster we, but she she was seen by Amanita and vice versa. So they became a we together. And then there's another concept in here that they talk about as impossibilities. And like, that's even the impossibility of somebody seeing you for who you are. As I listened this time, because every time you listen, you hear something a little bit more, but my heart just expanded. I felt like it was a love letter from Lana to her wife in a way, because I think in this moment, Nietzsche is speaking. I mean, Lana, maybe I don't understand you. I don't want to project that I do, but even the hair, like they have similar hair, but that idea of me falling in love, it's such a deep level. I don't know. To me, it was just so beautiful mm, and from the heart. I like where you're going with that, Sheila. <laughs> I see that. So one of the things that is important in this part of the dialogue is about the impossibility of life. And it's really a, a probability, not an impossibility. And we just don't see it that way until it happens. So for example, in my life, I can recall a time years ago when I was shopping with my older sister and I was just telling her, I was like, hey, I have this pattern in my life. And the pattern was being with uh, women who didn't deserve me and were very abusive and having toxic relationships. And I was like, I see it and I just don't know how I'm going to break this pattern. And this was years ago. And to me in that moment, that seemed really impossible. However, the reality that I now live in is which seemed impossible is now possible. And I am blessed with the most amazing relationship I could have personally because I'm with somebody 
who sees me and we don't have a toxic relationship. In fact, our relationship is based off of prosperity of many things, mind, body, and soul. Um, and I could go on and on and talk about this, but we even came together in uh, an impossible way, so to speak, that doesn't look, um, it's, it's so out of character for the, the common person to do what we did when we came together. Wouldn't you say, Sheila? I would say it's out of character, but I'm guessing there may be some Sensate fans that end up in these same situations. Right. <laughs> There's a lot of people coming together and crossing the oceans to uh, meet people Yeah, from the Sensate fandom. So I have to say that... Um, you know, that relationship and, and having someone to understand and to be easy with life. Not that it's always easy, you know, but to be on the same page and to be understood and to have that baseline is such an incredible gift. And it did kind of happen in a minute. We both saw it ahead in a way, but that's mm-hmm. um, for years for me. Actually, I was telling someone I... I actually saw it before my twin flame died, and I wasn't really happy about it at that moment because of everything that would have to happen in between. But, um, yeah, I saw this man that was going to come and um, be in partnership from the West. (laughs) I thought further than Kansas, but I don't think you could really ever tell me Kansas. (laughs) There's nothing in Kansas. I'm just kidding. Kansas City is pretty awesome. So, um, yeah, so we basically met through a spiritual group. We were online. Zach asked a question, and I don't Reluctantly usually, answered. Yeah, I really, you know, I, I, I don't usually get that involved with that, but I knew that question was for me, even though it was posed to everybody. What was it, like two weeks later you were moving here? (laughs) Not quite. It was close. So we basically connected over this group. And with a span of three months, I was here. You were here, but we knew earlier. right? And we both knew and didn't say anything for a while. But yeah. Right. I I was out in the jungles of Peru and I got this message about... Um, some some entities that were coming into my life, and I didn't know exactly what that was going to look like, but I knew. And then I came back home, and we that's when we had connected uh, online. And then it's just you. I talked about gnosis earlier in communicating, and the thing that made this work was that we both trusted our own intuition and our own higher selves. And we made no promises to each other that this would work out. And so basically, I left the highest paying job I had, and I was a martial arts instructor. And so, and I left my family there and all my friends, all my roots, and I picked up and I came out this way. And on the opposite side of the token, Sheila invited me in to her home with her family. And uh, we did this all without promise. So we, it was very uncertain how this was going to work out. But here we are. I made one promise, and it's a promise, the only promise I'll really make. And my promise was that I would follow my highest potential or my divine path in every moment. So wherever that leads us. Excellent. Now we're doing a podcast. (laughs) It led us right here. That's all. (laughs) Yes, that's it. That's it. So the... 
impossibility can be a probability and it can become your own experience. It just, there's a, there's a windy road sometimes to get there. Well, and when you look at Nate's and Nomi's relationship, I mean, I know in these episodes, there's a lot of taking care of Nomi and maybe that's part of the journey. Sometimes one takes care of another more for a period of time. And maybe there's other times when they don't, but there's something beyond just their um, infatuation or their trying to be together. They're doing life um, from a higher intention, I think. Yeah. And that is, I think, what makes a big difference. It's a lot of times, and, and I think this is interesting when we compare it to Kala now, because we've got Kala preparing for the wedding, and she's asking her mom about how she felt when she was with her dad and when they met. And Kala's mom is making the assumption that Kala is in love with her fiancé, which we all know she's not. And her mom says, for the first, you're the first in the family, in fact, to marry for love. But many things are the same. And this is really poignant, um, especially in in union with what we just talked about in the relationship with Nomi and Needs, is that traditional marriage was a basically a legal agreement and it, it was about survival, right? So our structure of marriage as we identify it in majority of society, and it really is still a legal thing. There wouldn't be a discussion about whether it was legal for gay couples to marry if this wasn't a legal contract. It really doesn't have to do with the um, the love or the relationship or the potential of that or communication. It's really all about the legal legality of it and how we make that work. And there's there was advantages to this when we were in the cave or indig- indigenous type living, where you did need you needed to pro- um, you needed to have children and to continue the the community going. You needed a hunter and a gatherer. You need a caretaker and a protector. And people played those roles as they were coming together. Being with other people made it healthier to survive. But we have that, that structure is still in our society because you can get health insurance if you're married. You can make legal decisions at death. You can inherit, uh, you know, the the belongings, all of those things became legal, and they're still in our concept of marriage. And so when Kala's mom's talking, there's this, you would be a good companion, you would raise kids good together, you would provide for each other, you would do you would fit, fit these needs. Having a life partner that fits those needs is a great thing in many ways. And so those of marriages that didn't marry for love and understood what they were getting into often become very healthy. Not always, but often become, there's a love that grows in that space. And I'm not saying my parents didn't marry for love, but I think that there was some elements of this that they're showing where Kala is being free to marry for love, but she's really still marrying based on 
the decisions, the religion and things. And I would guess that that's sort of where my parents were when, but now in their older years and the, the level of life that they've gone through and the support that they offer each other, there is a love in that that I have to say is very, very beautiful. Codependent, yes. Um, maybe not really passionate, but it's a love and it's beautiful. And then they had assumption that Kala was marrying for love at the same time twisted. So I guess my point is, and, and I'm, uh, I officiate weddings because I'm an ordained minister. So there's a couple weddings that I say, yes, I'll officiate. But I always am very clear to people, you've got a legal thing going on and that's cool. And that may help you out in life. And then you've got a spiritual and emotional ceremony. And I really encourage people to understand those differences so that they can base decisions and then create a healthy relationship within that structure. Excellent. <laughs> That's all you have to say. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I um there's this is this is a huge topic to talk about as far as marriage and stuff goes and relationships and in our structure. And I think when we pop over into the wedding scene later that they really start to show the different types of relationships living from a higher intention and purpose that's filled with love and consciousness per se versus just marrying for physical security. Yeah. But also I just want to honor that that when you are real about it, when you understand it, I think you can honor the beauty in all of that. So my husband, who probably I married similar for those reasons, I mean, certainly there's deep love. Um, we've co-parented together so well. He still shows up. We support each other um, in really beautiful ways. In fact, just this week when um, our dog got sick and I was away, it was Zach and he who we're together to take him to the vet and help him with the crossing. So there is a deep love that can, that can be done within that structure. Um, it's knowing, it's just knowing and honoring. And then, you know, I gotta be honest here. We found a letter that I wrote. I don't remember writing it, but I know I did cause it was in my writing. It was my words, but I, before that guy here, I was writing down what I wanted in a person. And when I was single, um, even though Rich was helping me a lot, I really tried to um, dissect those two. So to realize that, you know, just because I couldn't cut that tree down physically by myself doesn't mean I, mean I need a man to do it. It means I need to make enough money to get someone to come cut the tree down or make a friend to do that and then find a man that I wanted to be in deep um, soul relationship with. But I wrote down on my thing, along with all the beautiful stuff we had, I wrote down that I wanted him to be able to, to help me with the internet, with the websites and. And computers. And <laughs> she got I don't a, know why I did that. She got a winner. <laughs> so he has, he has exceeded that. But it's also kind of a little wink from my future self back to say that um, this is the right guy. 
All right, let's skip uh, let's skip forward a little bit to the art scene with Leto. So Leto is filming again as his um, character, and he's going in to do an action scene in an art museum. And this is where we get the title of the episode. So this is really amazing. As we've talked about before, the um, the creators of the show have been talking to the audience through Leto's director. And I think my perception is that bleeds over into this episode as well. Wouldn't you agree, Sheila? Absolutely. I, I man, I just, I love the art of this. <laughs> I love the art of this. Every I'm I'm enamored um, with the unpronounceable productions and everyone who worked to create this because I think that not only do we get these messages from behind the scenes, but that's part of what bridges or acts as a gateway for us all to bring Sensate out into the world. I think again, I know I talk about that. I think we're we're creating a new genre like we're just we're i don't know television is evolving and that's awesome yeah that's awesome and thanks to pioneers like the wachowskis so let's go with a quote that we um picked up on that kind of sums this up right yeah it's uh the director he says i want chaos confusion i want blanks firing squids exploding total mayhem surrounding the meaningless destruction of precious art. That's the message of this film. And without the grit of reality, nobody's going to believe it. Mine blown. What did you just say, man? Are you the director of a movie? Are you talking to me about the art and entertainment industry? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead, Sheila. So what did you get? So there's lots of layers to this one, in my opinion, and in ways that we can interpret this. So what do you want to start with? A, a theme of our talk today has been communication and communicating in what we call the fifth dimension. And it is so not easy to do that with linear words. There are people out there who are very talented and that can spin words and energy in such a way where it creates like a third language for us to understand truth. And what this is all about to me is one of the layers is basically what he says at the end is without the grit of reality, nobody's going to believe it. So this is, if you recall from one of the first episodes, one of my things I said I had a gripe about Sense8 because we have this beautiful message, this amazing thing about human beings. It really is a mention, a message about our humanity and it is soaked in explosions and violence. Like these things are great in the essence that they sell movie tickets. So uh, humanity as a whole needs to be, um, Netflix needs to sell subscriptions. Movie theaters needs to sell theater tickets. People need to sell. There's certain things that humans will buy into violence and sex being two of them. And the, the, what I've seen with the Wachowskis, if you look at the matrix, you have wire foo, you have all this incredible stuff. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy these things, but 
what I'm saying is the message that they bring to us is just buried in almost the exact opposite truth of what they're trying to convey about how beautiful human beings can be. Yeah, that's definitely a part of it. And even like throwing in all these violent gun scenes that are in the set movies within the move, the show, like, it's like, we got to hit the violence quota. So we're going to have this gun, you know, (laughs) (laughs) this big epic shootout, but it's going to be fake in the movie or in the show. So yeah, that's in there. Um, Also, we know that we know from things, interviews and things that people are saying that that the way this was filmed was unique and purposeful, but also divinely orchestrated. And they they were using the moment, they were using people's own personalities, their own um, experiences, and a lot of I guess probably some improv in there if they're letting the spirit rise up. So we've got in every other scene, Leto is being told he can't do any improv. He can't, he's got to stick to the lines. He has to prepare and he struggles with that. And it's not as epic, right? And then this one, the, the director saying, I want it real. You don't, we're not going to fix the lines. We're not going to. You know, we're not going to prepare anything. So he brings the sensate into it because he's flashing back and forth with Will during this. And um, there's a couple lines that that um, leak. And that's what this is all about, is leaking into reality. So we know that the actors are experiencing this on the set. There's also, at the end of this scene, the the director says it's in the movie it's in the movie we're using this cut you know we know how much of what the actors and everybody did that never made it in in fact um i mean i don't know the numbers for sense8 but my daughter just told me in the black panther movie the cut be- before the cut the director's cut it was a 4 hour movie and <laughs> and so like that's half of their creative material that's gone right so we hear you know we we have some empathy with the actors and the experience there and what they're going through but we're also seeing um that it's those magic moments where it leaks in and the lines come from the moment that become divine art so that's only one part of what i want to talk about with this (laughs) what's the next part (laughs) well i i think that the sense eights are precious art so if we think about humanity and when we reach a state of consciousness where we can um live in these higher consciousness. We can communicate. We can see truth. We can move through. We've got Jonas teaching them to know themselves and to share with each other. And there's one, I think it's a clip in the trailer for episode two, where one of the lines is um, basically that sense-eights, you can't lie to sense-eights. And so because most of the world is based on lies, that's why they're dangerous. I'm paraphrasing. But so we've got these beautiful beings who are filled with love, connection, and just want to create beauty in this world. So they're like pieces of precious art. 
And then in the scenes, or that, so then the the plot within the the series is of um, well, this is getting in. I got to give you the um, the other quote in the museum, actually, though. So it, the um, the in the scene that Lido's in, the other actor says, "Art is like religion. For the believers, it's everything. For anyone else, it's just a pile of stinking bullshit." So. We've got this combination of art and purity and evolution. We've got the plot of destruction in both places. We've got the plot of the government coming after these people to destroy this precious art. We've got the idea of it meaning something to some, like to people that know and believe it. It's divine. It's beautiful to people who don't. It's bullshit. It's just. All of this mixed in together. That was beautifully said, Sheila. I totally agree. And I, I think back, maybe this is also, you know, this message is in the context with Sense 8. Like, we're going to, there's this conspiracy against truth, against Sense 8s. And in our reality, there's been a lot of beautiful messengers that bring us the truth and we persecute them and sometimes kill them. Mm-hmm. You know, so seems I, to be a theme, right? That seems to be a theme here. <laughs> Thanks for the truth. You gotta go. Bye. We're gonna send you back. It's interesting. A lot of the people that I've worked with and their awakening and helping them through the process, one of the fears that comes up when they open up and start to communicate, start to feel the truth of who they are and remember all of their magic within, they start to think they're gonna die. Because there's so many other times, either in history or in their past lives, however you want to interpret it, that opening up to that meant death. And when you open up to that, it does mean death because you can't hang on to the part of you that is not that person anymore. Which is good. That's an interesting setup for the last line that I wrote down. And that's Will and Leto are moving in and out. And the line of the actor the last line in that that the actor says is, I know this is not who you are. And it's as Will is in that scene. So it is like they're becoming more than just that. And they asked for it. We know that it seeped over even from those other actors too. Mm -hmm. So, yes. Very awesome. All right. So the next concept we're going to move into is choices. Who can say if it is we we who makes the choice or the choice that makes us. That was from Caffius. And what a paradox that is. Are they not one thing? Apparently not. Talk about that. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> the scene is we have Sun. She's taking a stroll. And she's just walking through the streets or some commons of uh, Seoul. And then we have Caffius. He is in his place walking through the streets and their consciousnesses start to merge, and they're in each other's space. Um, they're talking, so they start to talk. Caffius, at this point, like I said before, he's he's actually just having a conversation with her. And so they're talking about, he knows that she has um, some difficult decisions to make. And, and when she starts to talk to Caffius about it, he says, I know this choice. It's like having two different lives. One will be very dangerous to me and the other very bad for my mother. So we know 
he's, we haven't put a lot of attention on that, but he's kind of bringing that bag, um, delivering the bag he was requested to. He already kind of got himself in and probably won't be able to get himself out. But in his mind, he's having to go against what he would like to do because he loves his mother so much and he wants her to have that medicine. And then Sun says, Am I the person who wants to see my brother punished, who wants to watch the business my father built destroyed, or am I the person who wants to sell, to save them, who would go to prison for them, even though they've been cruel to me my entire life? I think this is a really great exchange between Caffius and Son, because it shows that they're conscious beings and they are really looking to see who they are as a person like this this dialogue from sun she's got to make that choice between three different peoples who she could be like which one does she want to be so i thought that was really awesome that they showed the consideration of who am i in this show and there's also this theme of is the choice mine was it dictated to me by destiny was it dictated to me by my parents and my following an ancestral lineage lineage ah. lineage i got you <laughs> thank you <laughs> thanks for having my back no Zach. <laughs> all right so because we've also got earlier i just want to bring this in because we've got kala trying to decide um you know starting to feel this love for wolfgang who is just a spirit she doesn't know who he is and then the following, everybody thinks she should be loving the person and following through with that marriage um, because that's what the family expects, even though what they really want for her is love. They think she has love. They just assume it. And then there's Wolfgang, which we said he was talking to his uncle, um, and his uncle's saying, you know, about the safe was cracked. And then he says, same kind of safe that fucked your father it would be an irony of Shakespearean proportion if a son fucked his own life, cracking the same safe his father failed to crack. And then Wolfgang says, I'm not as stupid as my father. And then his uncle says, your father made mistakes, every man does, but you should always remember who you are. And he says, I think about that every day. So there's an assumption of who you are right there means you are your father's son. Mm -hmm. And you'll make all his mistakes and yada, yada. And I think they're all really struggling with some of that. Um, in some way, all of them are just, they're forced, you know, they have that overbearing shadow of trying to live up to your parents' expectations of who you should be. And then throw on that on top of some promises that you may, might have made. And now if you don't hold on to your promise, your words mean nothing. Right. Because Sun also talks about that. She, re, you know, she brings back the same thing that she promised her mother on her deathbed that she would take care of her brother and her father. And then Caffius says um, that if if she didn't keep the promise, it would be like the last words were a lie. And then he says, I feel that for my mother every day. I promised I would take care of her and everything would be all right. I must keep that promise. I promised my mother. Yeah, I think these are some really difficult situations for all of these characters having to deal with who am I now 
in relationship to evolution of who I want to grow into. And I think we're really actually coming back to what I talked about with relationships and marriage and that that was about taking care of, because this is another aspect of that. We are expected, the parent takes care of us, and then we're expected to take care of them and to carry on their legacy in a way. Um, and And we know from a lot of soul journeys that we kind of carry that in our DNA or our, our vibrational energies. But we have to break this as a human race if we, I'm not saying anything that one of these people has done, but if we don't expand this consciousness as a human race, we can't evolve as a human race. So, I mean, I tell my par- my kids that I expect you to make me uncomfortable. I expect you to go to places that I couldn't go that I wouldn't have gone because if because if if I truly do my job then you should be moving beyond what is my greatest expansion. Yeah, and I think um what they're really is this is not there's no right answer to these questions because we have to figure out what's in our own highest interest and that's really tricky to figure out because what was it in our highest good is good for another and what's good for another is good for us. And that is not always clear cut. So sometimes it may be to carry on that legacy and sometimes it may not be. And we just really have to make those choices and decide, you know, and just see, see, see how it goes, you know? Yeah. And I, I like that when we, when we make, the choice that's right for us, it will ultimately be right for other people. But they're actually looking at that and saying, I don't know what choice is right for me because I don't know yet who I am. I'm still trying to figure that out. And that's okay. People right now, I (laughs) don't want to make this decision. Right. Well, not eat. Yes. So there are eight (laughs) people, but they're also just like, okay, who am I? Like, what does this mean to me? And we know they get to make other choices. And sometimes those choices will change. Like what son makes as a choice now may change down the way. And and what Cathias thinks is a decision between what's right for him and what's right for his mom may end up being right for both of them. Right. May. I'm so, not going to spoil anything, but may. Son's <laughs> position is a little more uh, serious than the others at this point. Well, Cathias is uh, like selling himself over to the, the drug... Lord Mafia guy of his country. That's a little serious. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> Son's got a permanent thing going on where she's going to spend a lot of time in, in prison. Okay. So. Well, in a couple episodes, we'll see what happens to Cavius if he decides not right. to, to be permanent on his decision. <laughs> Just it's, saying. <laughs> yeah. It's never black and white. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um... I think that brings us to the wedding scene, right? Which is pretty epic, in my opinion. I think just visually, you know, we've got the Bollywood um, beauty going on here. I love that we get to um, see all these different countries. I love that the the decision was made to have the people from the countries do the production um, locally and that they got the flair of each of the cities and countries. And yeah, it. that's really cool. I did connect, um, this week with a person who was, 
overseeing the um, production in Kenya. So I'm really excited to get to know him more and hear about that. But I think in doing that, we do great honor to the scenes. And I think that this um, Indian wedding, from my understanding, not that I have great exposure to what that culture does, but I think that they did a very beautiful job with that. Me too. Um, now, one of the cool things that you did bring up, and I am not familiar with this, so you'll have to back me up here, but you, th- you thought it was interesting that he rode a motorcycle into the wedding versus an elephant? Yeah, the traditional way, in my understanding, would be he would come in on an elephant um, in that same way, in that same celebration, but he comes in in a, in a racy um, motorcycle. And, and so, yeah, I mean, with, with his storyline, we start to see how they don't appreciate tradition, right? So there's that whole tradition versus modern stuff type or right. different traditions intermixing together with this wedding being two different types of traditions. Yeah, and we know that that's we know he doesn't honor the tradition, um, and his family doesn't honor the tradition. But I don't know. There's something about that motorcycle, right? That I mean, I know in the elephants, they're coming in alone, basically, and you're coming alone when you come to your wedding, and then you leave together. But there's something about a motorcycle. It's not just flashy, racy, male. Uh, I mean, I like motorcycles, so it's not just male. But you know, it's that. Um, I ride alone mm. kind of thing. I don't know. I don't get a good feeling about it. <laughs> yeah. He definitely kind of seems like a celebrity in his own mind. Yeah. But we did notice. So we know that this is epic and we know uh, that the final scene <laughs> when Wolfgang um, ends the wedding is is going to get a lot of attention as it should, but we saw some other stuff in it. And one of the things is, um, Kala says, I had no idea how heavy it all would be. And she's referring to the, um, her garb. Yeah. What she wears for the traditional wedding dress. And I have heard that from people that it is extremely heavy. So we are, we are um, actually talking about the physicalness of what she's wearing, but we're also talking about the metaphor of the wedding itself being so heavy. Yeah, there was a lot of, uh, I don't could I call it baggage already? There's just so much mm-hmm. weight that's involved, so, many, so much weight involved in her decision-making. But one of the things you noticed, Zach, is paying attention because when we get into these scenes, they often flash to the other sensates and it's important to realize and pay attention to what they're flashing to. So we looked at as they were walking around and they were taking those steps in the traditional wedding, um, we flashed to different um, members of the cluster at different things that are said. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. So we have the... The first steps she takes are for um, Cherish to grow together mentally, spiritually, or with men together mentally and spiritual strength. I don't think I wrote that down perfect, but that's what they're talking about. And at that point, I believe she um, 
flash. I think it flashes to Wolfgang. There's a lot of Wolfgang in here, and I think yeah, at know. the very beginning when they start the vows, it's a lot of Wolfgang swimming and them switching back. It wasn't until they get towards the end. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that Wolfgang is swimming because um, he's naked. Well, he's naked, and I think that that I think that's important. Yeah, that is important. Not just from the right. oh, cool, he looks She's good. She's wearing naked. all this baggage, and he's in this pool free as can be swimming and gliding and feeling this weightlessness. Yeah. I think that's really important. I also know that, um, water has always been considered a, a conduit for spiritual communication. Um, we talk about, I, <laughs> when I'm writing, I say, I got to go take a shower so I can get the next paragraph, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got that going on. It's also a symbol of emotion. And so he's swimming through that for her. Well, she's walking those steps. Um, so all of those things are very, not only is it very beautifully um, filmed, it's very significant. Yeah. And then we have, they they skip a couple, and then they go to the fifth promise of love and obedience in all things. And then they skip over to Wolfgang again. And then it's the sixth and the seventh, I believe, where they're flashing back and forth. So the six is everlasting companionship. And so she's walking around the circle with her husband to be, and they flash over to Lido and Hernando and Daniela and what a different type of relationship they're having. Yeah. Because there is, there's that expanded love, the setting their own framework and just a lot of companionship in there, right? Mm-hmm. There's just deep love and companionship that they enjoy being together, the three of them. Right. Then she goes on to say that she'll share the same love and taste. Then we get uh, a scene of Will and Riley as they're coming together in a bar and then the same food. And we see Capius and his mom, his, his mom's cooking for him and he's smiling like normal. And then we get to the final vow. And I thought this was very interesting because she says the final vow as son is handing over a leash to her sensei to take care of her dog. Yeah. And I think, I mean, a leash in itself is significant. They do go right on to that. Oh, and son Sun and um, Kala were flashing back and forth early on, too, you noticed, right, in the entry when they were coming in. And that's important, too, because they're both kind of making decisions about imprisonment. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right? Um, And giving up love in order to fulfill an obligation, in a sense, or do what they think is the right thing. So, yeah, we've got her making, you know, that's when we know she's made the decision. She's giving up that one loving support to go um, do what she thinks is right for her brother and her father to honor her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that, in that scene when they, they actually, they don't, they, they first show the leash and then the next scene is with the dog. So it was uh, to me, it wasn't a very long clip or, um, but anyway, they do, it was very specific to the to leash. The leash. Yeah. yeah. I think that is important. Um, but when they talk about sharing the strength, they go to Nomi and Neats. So we're thinking that not only is it a comparison of there's different types of relationships and showing the different types and in, in that a ceremony doesn't um, define the relationship just because we present this to the world in one way, 
That doesn't mean that it fulfills the things that we say that it's fulfilling. Mm-hmm. But but we also, Zach, you also pointed out that um, in a way, maybe it's a ceremony for the whole cluster. Right. To as bring them as they're coming together more and that really those steps are being taken with all of them as they come together in a cluster unit. So then the final one, um, we shall be of one mind and, um, we shall be of one mind. We shall observe these these vows together as they take the last of seven steps with you. And then she doesn't take the, we don't, yeah, we don't, we didn't see that she did or not. She doesn't take the seventh step. So the marriage isn't complete, which is important. Right. And the timing, he comes in at the last minute, right? Right. Um, I I love that guy. But you know, she says of one mind and that's when he clicks in and he's like, Oh crap, I better go stop this. What the fuck are you doing? (laughs) Are you talking to me? Great. Cause I I need to talk you out of this funny business. (laughs) Yeah. So Wolfgang comes in and, um, he, is unclothed. He is. He is. He's unclothed. He's very. Um, he's got a sharp mind. This Wolfgang. He says, <laughs> "What the fuck are you doing here? You're not in love with him." And then they both collapse, and that ends the show. Yeah. So, um, pretty epic ending. Beautiful, and I think uh, an indication of what's to come. So I thought today, you know, I enjoyed this episode. Like all of them, yeah, it was a good time. We talked a lot of a lot. There was so, there's so much awesome that Sense Eight brings, and we get to talk about it and share it with you. Yeah. So if you have any thoughts, you can share them with us. We are active on the Twitter at live underscore Sense Eight. So you can shout us, give us a shout out or a tweet. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at team at livesense you can find more about our work at consciouslyawesome.com. Please hop on over to iTunes and rate us. And Sheila, you mentioned a thing at the very beginning of the show. Yeah, I want to remind people that rating us is how iTunes knows to show other people that we exist. So if you want other people to know about Sense8 and Live Sense8, rating us in iTunes is one way to support us. And, um, yeah, so over on Patreon, for those of you who have, um, subscribed to Patreon at the $10 pledge, $10 pledge or more, you get a class, an extra class. Um, so in March, you will be getting a class. So anyone who wants to subscribe at $10 or more, um, We'll be able to listen to this class, and that's where we're going to go in and really give you some practical exercises, ideas, concepts to help you communicate with the non-physical. So if you want to really get into the hands-on nitty-gritty and learn some of the stuff that I do to help people communicate with the non-physical, with your loved ones who've crossed over help to resolve and expand and continue relationships, um, pop on over and do that. Yep. And then it's the uh, VIP executive level um, that for every month that you're registered or subscribing to that, we limited that number because I'm only doing 
a few, but if you want to subscribe at that, you can subscribe for one month and then you get one. Um, it starts at the first of every month. So when you subscribe, it's that next following month that it starts. Um, and you will get a spiritual reading, which means if you're in a different country and you want to do Skypes or Hangouts or something, we figure that out. Otherwise, you call me and you have 45 minutes where I open up and I give you um, spiritual messages from your spirit guides, loved ones, and help you out in that way. Excellent. All right. Thank you very much for all the love, for all the shares, for all the shout outs. And thank you for listening.